Morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. We are going to be looking at David's life, but nearer the moment, the cusp of the moment before he becomes king. Whereas this passage earlier that other people may be looking at is right at the beginning of his trajectory towards that, where he has this epic encounter and victory over Goliath. So this is a critical moment in the trajectory of David's rise to kingship. Just before he faces his Goliath and successfully conquers him, the prophet in the land, Daniel, anoints David and says, you're going to be the next king. But there's a massive backstory, a trajectory between that moment where he kills Goliath and when he becomes king. And I'm going to look today at the turning point, the breakthrough moment where that, that, that final shift happens. And we're calling this talk today about looking at how David strengthened himself in the Lord. I've spoken about this before at Hope, and many of you will be familiar with this idea. But we feel it's not just a great thing to teach about, but it's a word in season for what God wants to do in us at Hope. It's about him wanting to qualify us as leaders. So I looked, being really into this stuff, I looked at the word strengthened in the Hebrew, in that phrase, and I'll come to the context of it in a minute for those of you who are unfamiliar with the person of David and the story of the Old Testament. I will clarify that. We're just going to look at the original language that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible was written in, is Hebrew, and there's this word hazak which is translated, some, in some cases, as David strengthened himself in the law, but in many others, it's a derivative of strong, has words, associations like repaired, encouraged, put in courage, restored, mighty, powerful. So it's a very robust, resilient word. And it said, David somehow encouraged himself, strengthened himself, empowered himself, encouraged himself in the Lord. And that's extremely positive and wonderful and we love that idea. But when we look at some of the context within which David did that, we will see how utterly radical and life-changing it was that he did it then. And that's why it qualified him for breakthrough leadership. So our identity as individuals and people of God is to be strong in the law, to be mighty, to be powerful, to encourage, to be restored, to be repaired in him. This wasn't just one time in in 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years pre-Christianized ancient world. It's for everyone. It's for us now. We are designed to be strengthened in the Lord, strong, powerful, restored, repaired, encouraged, literally instilled with courage. We see the people of Israel on the brink of the promised land. The same word is used. Be strong and courageous as you take the land. Joshua, who leads the first generation in, be strong and courageous. This word, Hazak, as you take the land. David, we're looking at now, strengthened himself in the Lord. Daniel, when the the nation a few hundred years later was broken and put in exile, he was strong. He was encouraged to be strong in the Lord. And then finally, the people of Judah, when they return back to the land after exile, are encouraged to be strong. This This is a word of design. It's a word of true humanity. It's a word for all of us. We're designed to be strong, mighty, powerful, 
restored, repaired, encouraged in the Lord. And it is a critical qualification for leadership that we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And it's that particular focus on how David role modelled that for us that I want to look at now. But firstly, a little bit about my story. One, I've had many conversions over the last 18 years since moving to Bristol, many changes of mindset about what's real. And one of them is around this transition from going elsewhere to people for strength, partners, parents, pastors, friends, and learning how to strengthen myself in the Lord from moving from a consumer to a contributor, from needing ministry when I first came here to becoming a minister, for looking for a priest, looking for someone who would mediate the word of God to me and the salvation of God to me, to entering into the priesthood of all believers and ministering that in Christ to others, from being a thermometer subject to the culture around me, to becoming a thermostat, leading and governing the temperature in the room, the culture around me. We see this lovely exhortation in Paul at the end of his letter to believers in Ephesus in the region of Asia Minor. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's his vision for us. And in the last 18 years, God has done so much in my life. It really has been a promised land coming here. And one of the major shifts he's made is in this capacity to strengthen myself in the Lord. In the very areas of pain, grief, loss, disordered thinking and acting in so many areas. He restored me, repaired me, encouraged me and showed me how I can strengthen myself in him. Now, I want to qualify what I'm not saying. It's really important we hear this because we can confuse this. I am not saying in any way that I'm promoting independence. I believe we're designed for community and we give and receive best in community. Or the radical individualism that may be the downfall of the West. I think we're at a critical moment. We may turn, it may be okay. But that might be our downfall and that is not what I'm promoting here. I'm not promoting radical individualism. I'm not promoting never asking for help or suffering in silence or not receiving prophetic or prayer or encouragement or gifts or help or finances from others. All those things are important. They build community. They show us we're interdependent and we're family. Or finally and most clearly that God wants us to suffer in order to teach us a lesson That is not kingdom. That's not what he's like. So I want to clarify the situations that I learned to strengthen myself in the Lord with a a result of sin and wounding and the fallenness of this corrupt age not to do with God. And the situation David finds himself into are the fallout from a corrupt age. Again, not to do with the nature and character of God. But God intervened, used these places as testing ground and brought David, brought me, brought many others to the place where we could strengthen ourselves in him through this. It is about God wanting us to access his strength, his power, his resources, which are available to us. You see the problem with going to a partner that we either have or wish we had, going to parents that we either had or wish they were different to or wanted, 
going to friends, going to pastors, going to human priests, is we access their strength. But we also access their limitations, their vulnerability, their brokenness. But when we go to God, we access his strength, which is boundless, infinite, always good, always wise, always loving, always works. And that's what he wants us each to do today. Some of you feel you have no time to yourself at all. You are crowded in. There's loads of people in your life. Other people feel like this is a time you're really on your own. You might live on your own. You might work on your own. You might not be working and living on your own. No one is exempt from this journey. Everyone goes through this rite of passage in order to be qualified for leadership, of learning to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, of learning to find our strength in him and from him. So, David, why are we talking about him? I'll give you a bit of his backstory. He was a teenager, he was a shepherd in the hills, pretty much forgotten by his parents who had had seven other sons. Sons were a sign of honour and blessing in the ancient world in the Near East. And so by the time the eighth son came, I think they probably felt blessed and privileged enough. So David was in the hills looking after the sheep. But something was being forged in him in the secret places which helps him in the public to glorify God and know God's covenant, faith, non-negotiable faithfulness towards him. He fights for God. He knows God fights for him. And he's anointed by Samuel to be king. Like Samuel is warned by God, don't look at outward appearance, the oldest sons, the warriors, the tallest, the, the, those characteristics that appear to make people great. Look at the heart condition and shows him they eventually find David on the hills and say he's the one to be king. And we later see in David and Goliath, in this monumental encounter between a teenage boy and a massive giant representing the Philistines, that David had a history already with God, even as a teenager. He had a history where he said, I know the lions and the bears have helped me protect my sheep. Yahweh, the covenant God, the faithful God, he will protect me now in my battle against you. So he had the massive mocking voice of Goliath and he just rebuked it because he had his own history with God in the secret places. And there'll be a lot about, I've talked briefly about why we need to learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and and what this is. But if I had to touch on the how, there are many, many hows. And this book, Phil Johnson's written a book called Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. And this is really good on why the what and the how but the main how I want to press in on now is there's no other way you've got to develop a secret history with God you've just got to develop a history with him where we take steps of faith and we see him come through as faithful we record it the next faith challenge comes we look back and we go I've got a history with you you come through as faithful that is the way we learn how to trust God in in connection with the big question we're looking at today and also specifically how we find strength in the Lord so he's, he successfully not only defeats Goliath and therefore the Philistines in that, in that particular battle, but he goes on to, to lead Israel to great victory, so much so that, that sing, the singers supporting his victories were saying he is killing thousands, tens of thousands, whereas Paul saw the king at the time is only killing thousands. Just a little 
um, word we had last week, Tanya, touching on child sacrifice, a common practice in polytheistic uh, cultures in the ancient world. And today there's a, a warfare, there's physical warfare, and there's also, we touch on polygamy. This isn't the time or place to go into that, but suffice to say we have to think pre-Christianized a thousand years in the ancient world when we hear some of this language. And what's extraordinary about these stories is we can still learn powerful truths about what it's like to follow Jesus today as Jesus fulfills these for us. So he's very successful in battle and Saul is cripplingly jealous of him, the king at the time. So much so that he starts to persecute David and desire to kill him. So David has to flee. He takes 600 men with him who are loyal to him, themselves discontented and in debt and and finding life hard. And they are real loyal warriors, living in caves, fleeing from Saul with him. But he has such a difficulty in Israel. He's uh, twice, he protects Saul, he saves his life when he could have killed him because he doesn't want to touch God's anointed king at the time that he eventually turns over and fights for the Philistines. He actually fights for the enemies of God because his life trajectory is not looking great. And then we hit the lowest point, perhaps, in David's life. The Philistines reject him. His own enemies don't even want him to fight for them, even though he helps them because they're concerned he'll turn against them in the battles of Israel. So he goes back with his 600 men to their camp and is utterly devastated. He hits an all-time low. That, that prophecy, that anointing that he might be king some 13 years ago seems completely dead. Because he comes back, he sees his whole community has been burnt to the ground. All the wives, the sons and daughters have been plundered and taken as slaves by a foreign enemy. And his loyal warriors, those who fought with him, even though Saul was trying to kill them, They turn towards him and they want to kill him too because they are so bitter in spirit that they've lost everything. This is the lowest point in David's life. It is not only him that is deeply affected. He loses his wives and his plunder at this point, but also hundreds of men who have laid down a life for him. He is a broken man. This is his lowest point. And then there's this extraordinary verse, 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. But David strengthened himself in Yahweh. He got up, he found out what happened, he mobilised his men, 600 of them, 200 too exhausted and they waited, 400 came with him. He asked God, what shall I do? He didn't presume what the solution was. Part of his strengthening process was complete surrender and trust in Yahweh's way and his direction. Felt God say, you can go back, you can recover everything that's been lost, takes his men with him, recovers them all. They all have to flee. The enemy flees. He recovers every single member of everyone's family. No one is even hurt, let alone killed, and all the plunder with interest, with more. This extraordinary story of the outcome of when David strengthens himself in the Lord. 1 Samuel 30. Samuel was originally written as one book in the Hebrew Bible. When it was put into the Greek, it was split between 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel is the rise to kingship. 2 Samuel is kingship. 1 Samuel 31, the very next event, Saul, the the jealous king who's been trying to kill him, tragically is in a battle and takes his own life. His son, Jonathan, potentially heir to the throne, also tragically dies too. 
and the very next thing that happens to David is he becomes king. So he strengthens himself in the Lord at his lowest point when the dreams are dead, they're crushed on the ground. Everything has gone wrong for him. It cannot be worse. He's lost everything. And even those loyal people fighting with him are wanting to kill him. But he dug deep. He went somewhere. He had some history back from that time when he was fighting on the hills against the sheep and saw Yahweh, the covenant faithful God of Israel coming through for him. He dug deep and he remembered time after time after time in the next 13 years. So he somehow, at the worst point in his life, managed to strengthen himself in Yahweh so much that he recovered all that was lost and extra with interest and he was qualified for leadership. He could now reign as king. No one is exempt from that process. Humanity, Adam, is the word for humanity, Eve, the word for life. Humanity is designed to reign in life. To recover that, we all go through a process where we have to, are invited to, we don't have to, we're invited to build a history with God such that we get to the point where we learn how to strengthen ourselves in him so that we can reign in life again. That is who David is for us, an example of someone who shows us how to build history with God. We trust him, he comes through. We trust him, he comes through. We trust him, he comes through. Everything goes wrong. The greatest reality in his thinking is Yahweh's not gone wrong. He's still sovereign. He's still in charge of the nations and the nation of Israel. He's still over my life and he still spoke a word of kingship over me. So I'm going to get myself up. I'm strengthening myself in that reality. I'm going to mobilise my men and I'm going to recover everything the enemy has taken from my life. Every way we've had financial assault in our lives, every way we've had relational breakdown, every way we've believed lies about who we are, every, everything that has been assaulted and robbed and killed and plundered for us is a moment now where he's girding us to get up to strengthen ourselves in Yahweh's strength. Not my strength or their strength or his strength or her strength or our communal strength, but Yahweh's strength and recover what's been stolen with interest so that we can leave a legacy of abundance. At the end of that chapter, he said he just handed out the plunder to the kings and his friends in Judah. That is the hallmark of leadership in the kingdom of God. And that's what we're being invited into in this season. There's this movie called Contagion. I don't know if any of you have ever watched it, but it's about a global pandemic. And it's done in 2011. It has very a lot of famous actors in it and it's probably on the back of SARS and MERS but globally and particularly focusing on what happens in America of course at that stage the West had never experienced a global pandemic since 1920 when the Spanish flu actually slightly misnamed um, was brutal in, in killing tens of millions of lives after the First World War it is eerie in its accuracy. It talks about an R number, social distancing, touching surfaces or not. And it's kind of like possibly not the most relaxing thing to watch of an evening during a global pandemic. Here, if you're watching this 
um, my brother encouraged us to do so. But what I took away from it, which was really interesting, and hear me, this is quite a complicated thought I'm trying to communicate, but an unredeemed imagination, such as the imagination of the writers and producers and directors of Contagion, cannot envisage, because it is beyond our imagination, the grace of God that can be injected into actual, real, global pandemics. All all these unredeemed imaginations can do is present us sort of getting through a kind of worst-case scenario with a bit of human engineering. But when we're actually in a global pandemic, in the real world, not in someone's unredeemed imagination, in the real world, there is grace infused in every aspect of it. And I came away from that movie going, it really could be worse. It really could be worse. God is bringing covering, he's bringing protection, he's bringing restoration. God is doing a work in the real world that no one can even think of when they try and write out of a disconnected imagination. There's a hope in the actual world compared to sometimes when we watch some of these things of how they could be portrayed, however accurately. So when we read about disease, famine and plague, it's completely reinterpreted my lens in scripture. These aren't concepts that we analyse. These are experiences that we live through. And the one we're living through at the moment is COVID-19. And we can encounter the grace of God in it now. People may read about it in history. They won't know that. They won't know. But we know we can encounter him now. We can find strength in Yahweh now. None of those situations in David's life were anything other than the fall, brokenness, corruption, jealousy, desolation, burning, robbing, pillaging, all those things, none of them a kingdom. But in the midst of that, David found strength in Yahweh. Our situation is, is not kingdom. Jesus says very clearly, by his wounds we're healed. He took sickness so that we could be healed. But in it, we can find a strength in the Lord that we may never have been able to find in any other context. We can go deep with him. So we are going to say yes to building community however we can, with whoever we can. Yes to giving and receiving, of course. Yes, to going deep with people. But I think this is an invitation at this moment also for each one of us personally to learn how to develop such a history with God that we're able to strengthen him, ourselves in him in the midst of circumstantial disappointment. In the midst of desolation, the word he speaks over us is stronger and more real and more active than the context we're in such that we see a resurrection from the dead of those words. We see, hear the word kinship. It's broken, trampled on the ground. David still hears it and rises and lives into it. I think that's what he's asking of us. That's what he's inviting us into. That's the opportunity for us today. And really, I think it's about moving into maturity. It's right to need each other at one level, but there's another level where God wants to restore us and heal us and restore us from neediness. 
if you can discern that difference. We will always need each other. We're designed to be family, to be interdependent. But he also wants us to, us to grow out of neediness. And that's what I came to Bristol with 18 years ago. Ironically, I had a stronghold of independence because they, those can often be two sides of the same coin. I've now learned interdependence, but I've also learned how to be healed from neediness to growing into maturity. James, Jesus' brother, has an extraordinary promise in, one of, in his letter in the New Testament. He said, if we persevere in trials, we persevere in, in believing the reality of Yahweh over our circumstances, we can have a maturity, we can have Christ forged in us such that we become mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's, that isn't for the age to come, that's for now. He wants us to be mature where we don't have that neediness in us anymore. There's a core resilience forged within us. There's Christ in us. And what's lovely is that word mature can sometimes be translated perfect, as in be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I find mature a more helpful translation. The Greek is teleos, which basically is about what's the end game? What's the end? What's the vision? What's the goal for this person? And the goal for this person is Christ. The goal for this person is maturity. That's our our vision of what our whole life is about. Every single situation we we can use to allow ourselves to have Christ forged in us, to to move out of that neediness, to be restored, to be repaired, to be encouraged in our inner self, that we may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And it's at that point that we learn and operate and are able to reign in this life. Thanks, Alice. So... uh, you might like to finish now in your home uh, by praying for each other. That's one of the things that we kind of miss, really, isn't it, through being in, in person here. And uh, what's so great to add to the, the scripture, the Bible that Alice has unpacked, is, um, is what's the kind of now word from God yeah. for me now. And it's so encouraging just to hear him speak to us in, the, in a quiet place, to a picture or a word or something that's very personal to us. Maybe that's happened, actually, as we've been worshipping or as, we've been, um, as Alice has been speaking. Maybe God's been saying something to you personally. But... Um, uh, yeah, so maybe you could, you could finish by praying for each other in your homes if you're with other people or if you're on your own. Maybe you could give someone a ring or send someone a text with their prophetic word of encouragement, something along those lines. Um, but, and also if you're, if you're, if you've got a ticket for the, uh, if you signed up for the coffee later on, uh, that could be a chance to pray for someone, uh, from an appropriate distance, of course. And, uh, and likewise, uh, as our youth meeting today, I forgot to mention there's also Charlie's latest video is, is, is out today. Um, and we're looking at uh, as well how we can uh, create opportunities for younger children to um, be part of a sort of gathered church setting as well as as growing in the in the homes with their with their parents as well. So we'll come into land there and um, uh, blessings on your on your household on your on your walk with the Lord. We, we, Lord, continue to strengthen each of us in you. Uh, may we grow in our significance and confidence and maturity. Amen. Amen.